Today in the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, we have an episode of Catching Up With. The guest happens to be Isla Agron, someone who I have really looked at as someone with talent, real talent to go far on the road to Indy, hopefully to make it to IndyCar. Her story, though, one that is not particularly unfamiliar for young women trying to make it to IndyCar. Here, at least, a story of someone who has demonstrated unquestionable skill but has not had the financial backing to explore it and develop it fully. Spoke with Isla, I think about a good two weeks ago, weekend before the start of practice for the Indy 500. We'd actually been playing uh, phone tag and interview tag for a couple of weeks prior to that. Glad that we got on the phone. And this falls mostly into a my racing life and career type episode, but nonetheless, hope you enjoy learning about her. And this is someone who, when given the opportunity and funding, everything she needed to demonstrate her talent, she made big waves. It's been a couple of years, though, 2017, since we last had her on the road to Indy. And even those last couple of years, partial seasons, funding running out, not able to really go in with no concerns other than trying to attack and become a champion. Thankful that the W Series selected her for the 2020 season. Sadly, though, with COVID-19, that season has been pushed back. So will we see Isla getting what we believe will be a proper shot in the W Series, using that to pivot here back to America and go after her road to Indy Dreams and get to IndyCar? That sure would make me happy. So I hope you enjoy learning about her, and she is a fighter. She is... A real, real scrappy person. And if you know anything about me, you know that those are the stories that I am particularly drawn to in this sport. Those who are not given everything, but those who have to go after everything. And that has certainly been Isla's story to date. Isla, this is something that I've been wanting to do for a little while. Knowing that your career here in the U.S., you decided this is where you wanted to take your open-wheel driving career and your determination to go far is one of the first things that stood out to me other things stood out as well and that's why i said you know this would be a wonderful opportunity to sit down and learn more about you learn more about your career both the highs and the lows if that's the way to put them and the things that you're doing right now why don't we start with this decision coming off of a youth filled with karting and just driving a bunch at the formative stages of junior open wheel. Tell me about this decision to uh, look to the United States to continue. Cause that's a pretty bold move for someone in their teens. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me. And, and yeah, like you said, I, I started racing over in Europe and, and uh, the norm or the tradition there is usually either, especially from Norway or Sweden, either to go towards F1 and try that route or it is going the rally and rally cross route. And uh, there was a lot of kind of back and forth going up, looking up to the, the big stars of F1 like everyone else. But it wasn't until Danica led the Indy 500 and that made it all the way over the, to the news in Norway as well that my eyes could open up to IndyCar and 
And it was when I saw that and you had an inspiration and another female being, being on the top level um, in racing in the U.S. that I started following IndyCar. And uh, that was what I wanted to do. And when I got the opportunity to come over and do the Skip Barber karting shootout at the time, um, I went for it. And now I've been here for almost eight years. So this is one of those dumb boy questions, and I'll probably ask you a few and apologize in advance. I know what it was like for girls, young women, even you know, women in their 30s or 40s deciding to go racing, either amateur level or pro racing, dating back to my formative years as a mechanic in the 1980s. And it was not often a pleasant thing just a lot of male ego, male stupidity and words and actions. I can only, though, speak for what I witnessed here in the U.S. Tell me about what it was like being a young woman with talent and a desire to go places in racing growing up in Norway. Did you face some of that same gender-based stupidity? I, I would definitely say there were there were certain times that weren't just positive to put it nicely <laughs> uh, but but all in all i would say most guys i've raced with have actually been at least towards me have actually been very positive and respectful um in many many ways and i've i've for the 99.9 percent of the time enjoyed racing with with the guys and and uh, they've taught me a lot. I've become tougher due to it and kind of been learned to, to give back a little bit. But I would say all in all, my experiences with the fellow drivers have been, been very, very positive. Um, I would almost say that it's has been more negative statements from the outside the paddock about it than within the paddock, which, which I find kind of interesting in a way of, when the people around you and closest to you think is okay, when when others have an opinion about something, then maybe not fully understand. I'm a big fan of earned opinions. And when you're dealing with folks where you say, okay, whether I agree or disagree with them, at least they have lived what I live, or at least they know and have a familiarity. So if they speak, uh, at least they have earned the opinion or the subject matter expertise. So that's a, uh, that's a great point. So thinking about this move over to the U.S., this couldn't have been completely easy just from a life standpoint as well. And I say this as a person born and raised here. I've traveled all throughout the world, but I've never moved my entire life to a different country Share with us that experience, because that might be the the under-explained uh, side of this life transference to American Open Wheel. It, it was definitely interesting at times, I'll tell you that. So I think pretty early on, I, I knew that's what I wanted, and I think my parents, kind of the older I got, the more and more they they understood and and wanted me to to go pursue my dreams in the U.S., and, uh, but the goal, goal and kind of agreement was always that I had to finish high school over in, in Norway. And, uh, so literally the day after 
our graduation from high school, I packed my bags and I went on a flight to go compete in the Skip Barber Racing Summer Shootout uh, in 2012. Yeah, the, the heck of a uh, summer break there. Uh. Yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, but like you said, culture is different. People are different. Um, but it's all been been very, very positive. I think the, the biggest challenges in the beginning prior to kind of getting a, a real team environment since at the time you were more driver showed up to skip barber and you were changing cars here and there and you didn't have have the team background like you you see in most categories and to me it was more so the travel travel to and from the track and, and such because at the time i was too young to to rent a car and uh <laughs> and uh there were a couple of scenarios where I, I wasn't able to to match it with other other drivers or families' flight times or or such or delays. And I remember one time I flew into to Monterey for a race at Laguna Seca, and it was way past midnight. Everyone had had made their way to the hotel, and I called my mom and I was like, you know, my luggage is lost. I can't rent a car. We're just like, what do I do? And she's like, you know what? You just got to figure it out. And um, I was lucky enough that I saw someone I recognized from the paddock. And I was like, you know what? I'm sorry to bother you, but can I, can I please get a ride? And it all got sorted. But it's, I think those things is when, what's been kind of the, I don't know if difficult is the right word, but the biggest challenges as, as a young girl coming over here and kind of just going for it without really having a plan, I could say maybe now looking back at it. So I love the angle here, Isla, of having to, as your mom said, you know, figure it out. And I'm hoping that was said by her with love. I know that, you know, that's not an uncommon thing for parents to say at some point, like, hey, you're grown up enough. You're doing some adult things. Uh, why don't you try and see if you can come up with the answers? Was yeah, that a no, no exactly? And and she the the way she phrased it was, you know what? Like I'm it's, I'm here in Norway. Like there's nothing I can do about it. Like I can't come and pick you up. And she, she's later told me like that was probably for her one of the hardest things to to have ever said wow. in, in that way. Um, but there literally wasn't anything they could do. So, so it all worked out, but you, you learn from it. Tell me about the household you grew up in as well, because it's, it sounds like you have some pretty awesome parents. Uh, but tell me about, tell me about them because while we are all responsible for our lives and destinies and all that kind of stuff, we're obviously shaped by those who bring us into the world. What kind of house did you grow up in to help uh, lead you to doing some pretty cool things like you're doing now? No, my brother and I definitely, we won the lottery on the parents' front. They've been, been always super, super supportive in, in everything we've, we've wanted to do or tried to do. And uh, they've both, both of them were very active sports-wise themselves growing up. And they actually met during the European Championship of windsurfing back in the days. Oh, cool. And, yeah, so, so very different, but still some, some sort of racing, just, just not with engines. And, um, no, they've, 
always been there in karting. It was it was my my dad and I that traveled around to to most races where it was possible. It was the whole family that came along and was supportive in, in the ways they could. My brother has been been playing ice hockey for the for the longest time and has always been able to pursue that with with both my parents on board. So no, we've been super super lucky and. I would I would say they've they've given their lives to to help us achieve our dreams and goals. So one of the reputations about you which I love is being a hands-on person and driver. There are some drivers, we could be talking Formula 1 world champions, IndyCar champions uh, that are competing today where while they might be amazing behind the steering wheel, eh, kind of let everyone else do their jobs. Don't do a lot of getting their hands dirty. Tell me about traveling with your father and family uh, as a young girl learning and coming up in the karting ranks. I'm guessing your hands weren't uh, completely clean there. No, they, they definitely were not. And, <laughs> and that's good to know. I didn't know that was, was the rumor, but that's, that's very nice to hear. But, no, it like I mentioned, it was it was my dad and I and the rest of the family traveling around and at at the end of the day you, you had to if if we wanted to make the make the heats and the practice grounds, if something happened, it was it was the two of us changing axles here and there and tires on, tires off and, and all of the above and that's that's always been a thing to me as well, going up the ladder is Kind of the more more I can do and and be involved, one you're you get closer to the people that you work with and and learn more about them in in different ways than just kind of showing up with a helmet in hand and and leaving when the driving part of it is done. Um, but I've also learned so much more about the vehicles and how the team is operated, how thing things behind the scene work um, in comparison to to if I, I wasn't there. And that's an important, important aspect as well. You no, know, just in my career working with many, many drivers, worked with some that are phenomenal, you know, phenomenal Indy 500 winners and so on. And on pure talent, they live in a different stratosphere. But I'll tell you, the, the ones that, for myself, and I know many of my colleagues as mechanics or engineers or whatever, that really stuck with us. Those were the drivers like yourself who at the end of their day wasn't walking out of the trailer saying, see you tomorrow morning. Uh, they would grab a rag. They would, whatever it might be, something to let you know that while they had a job that received the most attention, they did not consider themselves as separate, uh, different, better, whatever it might be. They considered themselves one and only one uh, as part of a team. Share with me that process, Isla, because knowing that you've come to a different country to try and advance your career, you've driven for multiple teams. We'll get to some of them in a minute. Those who treat the team like they're part of the team and not, quote, the driver, uh, those are folks that tend to have a lot of fun people in the paddock who want to help them. That's another aspect we'll get to a little bit later. 
No, I, I think you nailed it, nailed it right there with the statement of it's it's a team, right? I think a lot of a lot of the time racing and, and drivers is is perceived as a as a one man sport, which I, I don't think you could be further away from it. Yes, you're you're on your own in, in the car out there, but at the end of the day it's it's all the the back work that really shows at the end of it what you can do as a driver and and um to me that's always been a really big part of it and i think it almost naturally happened in the way early stages it, it was we were a small team we were a family team and uh when i came over here to the us i i was not brought over but i had an acquaintance anders crone who's a fellow norwegian and uh he helped and guide me a lot and was a lot of the time actually working for some of the teams I, I ended up driving for. And um, and due to that, you know, like you, you hang out, you, you, you see what you can do if it's grabbing a broom and sweeping the floors or like you said, grab the rag and clean the, clean the cars while, while the guys get their job done, at least you can, can help in, in the small ways that you can. And I think you also create a, a different, camaraderie around it at different times when when you do get the chance to talk to the mechanics and you do get the chance to talk to your engineer on on a different level than just not just about that day and there then but you hear all their their stories and and understand their level of experience and i think that really shows at the end of the day usually on the sunday nights when the checkered flags are thrown as well where, where you end up as a team. And this is something that interests me in your career. I love the mention of Anders Crone, by the way, one of the worst human beings ever born. Just <laughs> kidding. Uh, if, if there's anybody that doesn't like Anders, they're not human. They're from outer space. Um, I yeah. couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is an interesting aspect about your career uh, so far. And you're again, you're still a young woman. You got to hopefully a big long career ahead of you as well. But one of the things about your career and I'd love to paint this as a super positive at all times, but I'm not sure if you'd see it that way is your resilience is what really stood out as you're coming over here, going through the skip barber school, uh, then finding opportunities in the, uh, the formula 1600 championships and such got into the road to Indy, right? The bottom tier, the USF 2000 uh, series and such. Rarely have you had the full budget to go racing for multiple years, full season, lots of consistency. Share with us this part of your journey, Isla, because it's, it's, a, it's an important aspect, not littered with all the positivity that you would want. There's obviously a... a a great result in 2014 uh, in F1600, but your efforts to get to IndyCar, uh, they have not been filled with open doors, flush with cash, and just the red carpet rolled out. I mean, that's a fair uh, thing to say, right? Yeah, no, I, I definitely would say so. When you say full budget, I ask you what is that because I don't think that's ever really happened we've we've always been kind of scrambling scrambling to get there and sometimes been able to sometimes not um but no as you as you said um 
it's it's never been an overflow of, of cash to spend that to say the least and it's definitely been been a challenge but i've been extremely lucky to have the partners i've had around me and they've done what what they could introduce me to new people uh i've been very lucky here in the u.s as well a lot of it through through anders crone and johnny baker uh in the beginning with abk that introduced me to to a lot of a lot of important important faces and acquaintances of theirs um that helped develop their careers and and um that really not i don't know if excelled is the right word but it really started um a group of people around around me here in the US that I got to know really well and and could ask and dig and not only just budget wise but you could start asking questions that were so very different from the karting world and and the European side of, of racing but trying to understand more how it worked um, on a partnership and corporation side here in the US so I have the extreme fortune to be married to a woman who is a full-time ass kicker. She just kicks ass all the time. Uh, it's one of the things that made me realize when we first met, okay, she's incredible. And so I mentioned that because I always have my eye on the road to Indy in particular, you know, could be sports cars as well. Young woman coming up, demonstrating talent in their uh, training categories. But when you emerged and started winning races and started demonstrating that talent was really hoping things would take off for you moving on to the road to Indy, which again, we know is the established ladder system, kind of a, a college system, if you want to call it, move up from uh, freshman to junior, senior, and then hopefully IndyCar watching you move up in, you know, I'm a reporter. So of course I'm hundred percent neutral and impartial, but on the personal level, rooting and cheering like, cool, you know, hopefully uh, she can keep moving upwards. Share with us the, the process of trying to do that. You know, Brian Herta Autosport was great. Team Pelfrey, great, big fan of the Pelfreys. Know that there's some stops in there. John Comiskey, someone else who I have a lot of time for, uh, this is not for a lack of trying of you wanting to get to IndyCar, but share with us some of the challenges that might not be fully understood when talent isn't necessarily always matched with the right resources to fully develop and then make that next step up the ladder. No, like you said, it's never been, been in lack of trying. That's for sure. And, and you kind of touched upon it a little bit, but with Brian Herda Autosport in the F1600 Championship, who kind of later merged into Team Palfrey in the F1600 Championship. In 2014, we won the championship there. And then when I moved up to Road to Indy in the USF 2000 Championship, uh, that was also with Team Palfrey. And um, 1600, we were to a certain degree almost able to kind of get the, the ends to meet to do all the testing and and get get all the track days needed to to show up prepared for the the first events because i think we've all kind of seen where the the drivers and teams that start producing results all the way at the end and can't do it consistently throughout the season a lot of the time don't end up 
very high in the championship. They might score a podium or a win here and there, but you don't always get the the championship um, title through through not showing up prepared in the beginning. And and that was what really helped me in, in 1600. We were able to, to make it work on that level um, with that level of budget. Um, anyway, I moved up to USF and that's where the, the challenges really started. And first year with Palfrey, I, I wouldn't say it was was a bad year, but it was definitely a, a tougher year with, with less experience coming in and uh, new tracks, a lot of new tracks, street courses, my first oval, which is something that's completely new for me coming from Europe. And uh, it was it was definitely very, very hard to get everything sorted. And it actually wasn't until May, mid-May, um, during a couple of events, we were able to put on kind of throughout the Indy 500 month of May scenario that, that I knew that I was going to be able to finish out the season. Um, and that kind of had the ball ball rolling uh, for the next couple of seasons. 2016, I went over with John Kaminsky Racing and a uh, little bit of the same issues there. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to do, do all the races in that season. And... Uh, didn't give up. We're, we're back to it again and um, managed to get put a deal together with uh, Team Pelfrey again for, for 2017. And unfortunately, at Iowa in July, um, I did the last race or the last race I've done since. So it's uh, it's definitely been been a harder harder hardship of, of getting all the ends meet and, and show up prepared. As you mentioned, it's, it's one thing I can put all the hours I, I want and need into my physical and mental aspect. But at the end of the day, if, if you're not behind the wheel enough and, and you, and you show up where you can, where you can really showcase the, the skill level and it's not just the skill itself, but you need to, to work on it. And uh, when you're not able to do that, my my skills came came short with with the level of of track time I was able to bring bringing into it. I mentioned just a little while ago that your efforts, even half measures, being able to do a half season, for example, or of the various constraints that did not provide the same opportunity for you to really develop everything you wanted and needed to. Nonetheless, in the times that you were able to demonstrate your capabilities, it was impressive to hear that you were catching the eye of some folks higher up. I know that because a fairly prominent uh, person in charge of one IndyCar team uh, sent me some notes, however many, must have been 2016, 2017, saying, hey, uh, it's not me. I, I'm not the one with the money to spend, but I have some folks who are interested in supporting a talented young driver on the road to Indy, any you might suggest looking at. And they mentioned that you were already on their radar. And I thought, how cool is that? Because normally, if you're talking at the IndyCar level, where you ultimately want to arrive as a driver, 
we know the story, right? It's usually the person leading the championship, second, maybe third at most, but rarely do they look any farther than those in the top three positions. And yet you, again, having, say, some more obstacles than others to get through, had made an impact, had resonated. So I won't mention the team or, or the person's name out of respect to them, but yeah, I really took that, Isla, as something that said, okay, even with some obstacles, she's still letting her talent be known. I'd love to hear, or I'd love to have you share, if you could, on the topic of fighting and persevering, which is why I think your story so far is so compelling. You weren't just doing the uh, proverbial gym tan laundry routine that many race car drivers do between races. Uh, you were working your working your tail off, doing some pretty humbling things to try and find money. Uh, I've heard tales about you collecting bottles for recycling. <laughs> I've heard yep. tor- stories about you painting, doing office painting and stuff. And I'm not saying those are bad or beneath anyone, but I am saying, yeah. That's not a story you hear associated with IndyCar champion Joseph Newgarden, Formula One champion Lewis Hamilton. You know, uh, you don't hear about that very much. When I heard about those things as well, I was just like, all right, she is truly doing extraordinary things to make this career keep moving forward when I don't know how many of your rivals would actually go to that level. No, it's it's funny because I've never really thought about it in, in that way it's just always been been things necessary to kind of do what what you have to do to to make things work and and yes but the bottle collection thing was was a thing it was it started very early on um i would it was we were still carding and it was in the cadet category and it was when AIM had just come out with a timing system that you could get a reader from the system so you could actually look at it um, on the computer. Onboard data system kind of situation. Yeah. yeah. And uh, long story short, there there wasn't any budget for that um, that we had, and I was eight at the time. And it was there's not many jobs you can do at eight years old, at least not in Norway. And um was kind of thinking, I was, you know, talking, and and there was a friend of ours, who was like, he's like, you know, you can always collect bottles. He kind of said jokingly, and I was like, you know, yes, I can. And that's kind of how it started. And we had bags and bags and bags and bags of, of bottles that we, we brought to the stores and got the receipts and got the money. And finally, kind of towards the end of the season, I, I had enough to, to buy this reader. And, and uh, yeah, that's kind of how, how that story went about. But, no, I think it's – racing is, is something I've always wanted to do. It's always been my dream. And, and if – never kind of been stuck up on what I have to do to to make that happen. If it's the bottles or, or painting the office walls for, for the team or, or getting, doing the catering part of, of events, it's, it doesn't really matter. One, I, I want to be useful. And two, I, I want to be in a car one day again and, 
And uh, if that's what it takes, then that's what I'll do. So the cool part of the story is this opportunity in the W series. And we'll get to that in a moment. But adding to this compelling life and career so far at, uh, you know, 27 years old already, you've had a hell of a, uh, a life and career, by the way, in case you didn't know, um, things didn't exactly offer that fairy tale finish that every young driver is hoping for. I mean, things ground to a pretty significant halt a couple of years ago uh, on the while on the road to India, as you mentioned. That's often the, the pivot point, Ilo, where a driver says, okay, uh, I really don't want to name the thing, become a barista at Starbucks or get my real estate license or something involved with I had some time trying to achieve my dream. It ultimately fell through. Now I need to transition to something else that doesn't involve pursuing a dream that isn't going to pay off. Tell us about this experience because everybody deals with plans they've made for themselves and those plans not happening, at least in this time period. Uh, not panning out the way you wanted. What was that like for you? No, I mean, it definitely wasn't easy or isn't easy to put it that way. We're still kind of kind of in that pivot point, but it's kind of dug deep and figured out. It's Is this still something that I want to per- perceive? And, and it is. And started kind of going through the the jobs and, and opportunities that, that I could create for myself within racing if it, if it wasn't as a driver because I think the, the easiest thing would have been, yes, pack the bags and go back to Norway. And I have my bachelor's degree, degree in business um, that I, I took while, while being over here. And, um, like, that would have been the easiest step. Um, but I knew this is this something I still want to do. And to me, I, I've been around long enough and, and seen enough drivers kind of come and go. And I think when you stop showing up at the racetrack, that's kind of the, the good packer bags and goodbye. And, and you could have been the, the best driver there is, but no one's really going to remember you if you don't keep showing your face. And, and that's not a, a good or bad thing. It's just kind of the, the reality of, of the paddock. And um, kept asking around and, and kind of figuring things out and started taking some spotting jobs. And I actually really, really enjoyed that because it's, to me, it's one of the closest thing, things you can do um, on the outside of the car, but still to a certain degree be a part of, of the, the driving side of, of the racing. Um, so that, that's been something I really enjoyed. And, and then when I got the opportunity to start working with a company called HRX, uh, which is a racing apparel company that makes custom suit and shoes and gloves and, and all the necessary items, um, safety equipment items for, for drivers and crew, then that was another thing that, that really kept me around and has been extremely positive for me in a way of I'm, I'm now using the degree that 
I took while I was racing. I'm still at the track. I'm still around the people that could potentially lead to something of, of getting back in the car. And, and it was due to that, that I actually ended up applying for the W series, um, shootout first go around because I was at the track and heard about it. And, um, I, I think that really showed and reminded me again that racing is, is what I want to do. It's where I want to be. I, I knew that, but to get the chance to, to get back in the car again was, was something I, I couldn't, couldn't let go. So it's, um, it's been an interesting couple of years and I'm, I'm really hoping to, to be on the starting grid with the W series in 2021 again. So this effort to continually look, continually search, use your education to your benefit while racing opportunities are not presenting themselves that's also a fairly unique thing, which I'm sure you're aware of. I'm not saying most race car drivers, most of them being men, obviously, are dummies, but you don't, there aren't a lot of men, I must, and I I freely say it to a lot of them, like, brother, I love you, you're a phenomenal race car driver, I wouldn't ask you to spell your name the same way twice, because you couldn't do it, um, or count past 10 using your fingers, I'm, of course, being a bit of an idiot, but education is often not a big part of a young race car driver's life and career because it's just all hyper-focus on becoming the best driver, period. Share some insights about this as well because you chose to do something hard while already doing something hard and trying to come up in uh, your chosen sport and profession. That could not have been an easy thing too, but it's also paying off. No, it definitely is, and and not only for for the things I'm doing now, but on a partnership standpoint of of trying to seek sponsors and partners, and and more so understanding where they're coming from, of what what's their value in it, and and taking my degree that really taught me more or gave me more in depth of what I could give back to a business uh, from a sponsorship standpoint as a race car driver. So, so I'm extremely happy that, that I ended up going that route and no, it wasn't easy there. There was a couple of times at certain race weekends where it was less than ideal. Like I'm not going to lie about that, but the, the school I went to where they were extremely understanding and they, they helped me making sure that the, the exam dates that, the classes I took, um, moved it around, not years, but six months to kind of make it all, all work with, with the, the time and, and effort I was able to give it um, to get the best grades and results on the racetrack during those years. And for, for us to, to get a bachelor's degree is supposed to take three years. For me, it took three and a half, but... When it was all, all done, it, it showed to, to pay off. And I'm, yeah, like I said, I'm extremely glad I did it. And I think it also kept me more on edge and, and wanting to learn not only what they taught in school, but also on the racetrack. Because think, I think we all kind of notice like math, simple thing. We, you start 
using the calculator instead of counting or or doing the the math problem in your head and the more and more you do so the the lazier and lazier and lazier you become with it and I think school is is not only to get degrees but it's such a great tool to keep keep your brain focused and keep developing so looking at this opportunity that you've created for yourself being chosen for the second season of the w series well i guess i could say i love that (laughs) if there's someone who's accustomed to either delays or having to demonstrate perseverance and patience and things coming when they want them uh obviously this covid19 situation has forced the delay of your participation in the uh, the sophomore season for the W series. Tell me about the process, though, of earning that spot and also knowing that when the season proper gets going here at some point in the future, you're going to have some badasses to deal with, whether it's Jamie Chadwick, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I know that Sabre Cook, uh, she's someone who we're hoping is going to see continue up the open wheel ladder here in America as well. But uh, Alice Powell, uh, Bruno Tomaselli is going to be there, who, uh, you know, another road to Indy graduate as well. When you do get going, there's going to be some serious talent to go up against. Tell me about the process of earning that spot. Also knowing that when the season does get going, it's not going to be easy. Oh, no, definitely not. It's, it's to me, it's a little, not funny, but I, I get why. But it's when when you hear the the woman series, I think most guys think it, it will be easier than if it was just kind of the norm the normal deal. And um, I think a lot of people would be surprised at how big the talent pool in in the W series is, and and uh, I I really really look forward to to fighting it out with these girls. They've, we've all shown in, in different avenues that, that we are all very well capable drivers and to get the opportunity to, to fight it out against each other, I think is, yeah, it's just freaking awesome and such an amazing opportunity for, for females in racing. But it's like you mentioned, it's not, not been an easy, easy way to get there. And, and uh, when, when I got the, opportunity to be a part of the sophomore season the the question was not even in my in my brain it's it's something I definitely wanted to be a part of and unfortunately the the COVID-19 situation has has postponed this 2020 season but to me it's I've gotten the question a couple of times of oh you have have to wait even longer now and be be longer out of the car and and such but you you kind of said I've been been out of a car on at least on a regular basis for a while. And I've always showed that when I get the chance to get back in it, it hasn't taken me long to, to get back up to speed. So, so for me, if we get the chance to go racing in 2021, in a way, in a little bit of a different way, I think it might honestly help me a little bit in the way of a lot of the driver, more drivers have been out of the, their seats longer than normal than, than what it had been for 2020. So I'm just going to keep doing what, what I always have and, and prepare well and, and show up and, and get going. The balance is tipping back in your favor. I love the sound of it. Um, 
one or two more things jump out here that might be fun to discuss. So of the many things you have done and been doing to keep yourself busy, you mentioned spotting. That is something that I would say is a perfect use of your skills and talents, knowing that as a driver, being in the ear of an IndyCar driver, helping them to navigate, look for uh, the best ways around the track, danger, you name it. Uh, there's a lot of value in that direct radio communication from you high atop a track to an IndyCar driver. Tell me about those that you've had a chance to work with and what that experience has been like. <laughs> You're ticking all the boxes of everything you can do in racing and be a race car driver, and I find that fascinating as well. Well, first, first IndyCar driver I worked with was Pippa Mann, and I, I have to thank her for giving me the opportunity and, and the trust, um, not at least because it is a big trust to, to to listen to someone else tell you go left or right or tell you're clear and, and really believe that that's the case because we all know how badly it, it can end if it's not. And um, so I, wor- I worked with Pippa for a couple of years. Um, I've also done a lot of spotting on the road to Indy for some ex-teammates and, and some new drivers coming up for, for different teams, which has been a lot of fun for me to to be a part of it. And then this this last uh, Indy 500, I was a part of Dragon Speed with Ben Hanley uh, as the driver. Um, and seems like that will be the case again this year. So so I'm really excited to to be a part of the, the Indy 500 and in a small way again and and um, no, it's it's very interesting to to be be on that side of of racing and still learning from it, looking at different lines, what how different drivers are reacting and what they're doing in the car, and trying to put it in the bag. So if if I ever get the opportunity, I've at least made made the most of the years I've I've been around IndyCar car racing. So on that topic, we are looking at a pretty, I would say, educational life that you've had so far. What would you say and what do you say knowing that you are one of not many women in the United States uh, actively trying to get to the Indianapolis 500 having followed some of the, uh, the recognized steps to get there? Do you get outreach from, could be young women, could be young men, whomever, but those who've recognized that your story of someone who has not had everything work out the way you want, everything rosy, you've had to fight and fight and fight, and you're still fighting. Do you get outreach from young drivers? Who knows? Maybe even parents saying, wow, you refuse to quit. What advice can you give my son or daughter? I, I think everyone's fighting at the end of the day. It's, racing is very simple but very complicated in many ways and everyone has has their own battles uh, with it but the the people that have reached out I think in most cases are actually uh, parents or 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 the young girls themselves that parents of young girls that have reached out and and um, or I've met at the track and and to me what's been very inspirational and, and cool about that is a couple of years later, very often I've, I've seen this young girl again or, or spoken with her parents if it's been 
face-to-face or through social media. And a couple of times these kids have come up or they've talked to the teacher or so on. And when they've been asked what they want to do, it's, it's become something different than what they're used to say. And if it's, if it's been, uh, Oh, I want to become an astronaut or if it's a race car driver or if it's an ice hockey player, I, I think it's so cool to, to hear that, that little glimmer of an eye of seeing someone that maybe, maybe is doing something a little bit different and have been able to show that doesn't matter who you are or, or such or, or what you are, you, you can do whatever you want. And, and that to me has been, been the coolest part of, of being the minority in, in racing is, is to show someone else that even if it's not in racing at all, that you can still, still pursue your dream. Let's close on this. Usually try and close on a, on a high. I don't know if this is going to be a high, but your goal in moving forward when you do get to campaign in the W series, hopefully have something very positive for you there, whether it's wins or just a really strong championship finish. I assume that might be to hopefully transition back to the U.S., maybe some sort of good road to Indy opportunity. What comes to mind when you look to the future, Isla? Knowing that, sadly, this year, there are no women competing on the road to Indy. And looking at the entry list, the 33 cars and drivers set to start practicing for the Indy 500 here, for the first time since, I believe, 1999, there will be no women in the field for the Indy 500. Bright future, but I have to admit... I'm not feeling super warm right now about where we're at with talented young women being even physically present on the road to Indy or at the Indy 500. What do you see for yourself in your future, and what are you hoping for for uh, more young women to follow along? No, I, I think you're you're raising a, a problem there, to be honest, and and the fact that there's no no female driver on on the starting grid for the Indy 500 this year is, is, is really sad. Um, but I'm really hoping that this year and instead of taking it as something negative and, and a new norm to call it that, or, or kind of that continue the norm that is that we can, we can really turn it and, and make it into something that instead of it being one, we can have several females on the starting grid for the, for the Indy 500 or, IndyCar for every race weekend. And um, like you said, I, it's to me the, the issue, and, and you mentioned it yourself, is there's not many of us as around at all and, and fewer in, in open-wheel cars uh, at all right now. And I think not only females, but a lot of drivers have, have tended kind of going towards sports car and, and, and the sports car world and just kind of due to budget as well. It's, it's over wheel, wheel racing side is it's, it's really not easy to get into. It's harder to stay in and it's even almost impossible to, to make a living out of it. And, and the older and older and more up the ranks those drivers go kind of 
you get to a point where you have have to make a living. And uh, and the to me the issue now is when you don't see new up and coming drivers as female drivers coming, then that's where we kind of got to start scratching our heads and, and see what we can do to, to, to make sure that both genders will be represented in, in, in all racing, racing products. Well, that ties in nicely to somewhere where we started at the beginning, Isla of you comparatively halfway around the world seeing Danica Patrick run well at the Indy 500 and having an inspiration in seeing her wanting to do as she did. And so it's a, it's a beautiful observation and recognition that hopefully for future young women like yourself and drivers of color, everything possible, you often need to be able to see in order to dream and if we don't have folks like yourself in the Indy 500 or Pippa or Catherine Legg or whomever else, not saying that you can't come up with a dream on your own, but it sure does help when you see examples that you know directly you can follow behind. So looking forward to where your career goes, and hopefully you're going to have some folks spotting for you at the Indy 500 before too long as i tell you you've put in a lot of time and a lot of work and if there are folks who are deserving of breaks i'd put you on that list pretty high on the list there too i i very very much appreciate that marshall and no the the effort has not stopped and, and the goal is still still to be be a part of the indycar indycar paddock and indycar grid as a driver thanks again to isla for making the time for us to record this Looking forward to seeing how her future develops. Really do hope that sponsors, racing series, all manner of entities get behind her because there is certainly some unexplored talent here that given the right surroundings, the right opportunities, this is someone who should be driving in the Indy 500, not spotting in the Indy 500. This is your first time listening. You might check out marshallpruittpodcast.com more than 900 episodes waiting for you plus a subscribe page with spotify info apple podcasts all manner of things that might keep you up to date when we put out new episodes here all right well i am marshall pruitt this is my podcast thank you so much for listening